that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? A professor asked his seminary students, what was the subject that Jesus talked about the most? And all of them came up with many, many different answers, none of which were right or correct. Now, what do you think Christ Jesus talked in his ministry, which was only a three and a half years long as far as his ministry, but what do you think Christ talked about? What was the most important subject on his mind? Do you know? Well, you know, Christ really didn't even talk that much. I mean, the words in red are about 31,426. Uh, uh, you know, that's really not a lot of words. Uh, your average novel book that you would read consists of 120,000 words. So when you compare, well, I, I pick up one book and read it, 120,000 words, compared to the words in red that Jesus spoke, 31,426, you know, he, he didn't even talk that much. He didn't say that much. But what was the most important subject that Jesus talked about. What did he talk about the most in the Bible? Well, one student said, well, love had to be the answer. And a lot of you, maybe you thought just that. Well, he had to talk about love more than he talked about anything else. You know, just love everyone. And yet, you know, that's a subject that a lot of people don't even understand because, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's a matter of the will. The will has to be activated in order to love God. You can't just sit around thinking or feeling like you love God. No, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. There's something you've got to do to show your love towards God. And it is a word, oh, it's an ugly word that Christians hate. It's a word that you don't dare utter. It's, it's, it's the O word. It's obedience. Yes. Yeah. Christians do not like that word. I'll tell you that right now. But love was the wrong answer. That was not the correct answer as far as what did Jesus talk about the most. Well, another person piped up and said, well, forgiveness. Yeah, Jesus did talk about forgiveness, but that was, again was the wrong answer. Another person piped up and said, well, grace. You know, grace. Uh, but yet, you know, now there are scriptures in the Bible that, that re well, let me just give you some examples there. Luke 2 and verse 40, and the child, speaking of Jesus, grew and waxed strong in his spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, there are a lot of scriptures that refer to Jesus as, you know, in explaining what Jesus was like. The grace of God was upon him. Uh, John 1 and verse 14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here's a, tr here's a scripture that tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And uh, again, John 1 and verse 17, the, and the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. But as far as all of these scriptures 
uh, about are talking about Jesus Christ, but as far as Christ himself using the word grace, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it one time in the Bible where, where, where Jesus uttered the word grace. Maybe that's the reason Paul is referred to as the apostle of grace. So grace was not the most you know, important subject that Jesus talked about the most. Okay, that was a wrong answer. Well, another person said, well, hell has to be. Jesus talked about hell more than he did anything. And yes, Christ talked about Gehenna fire, those that would be in danger of Gehenna fire. He also referred to hell. You know, in order to understand hell, you got to understand its different meanings uh, in the translations. For example, Luke 16 and verse 23 this is about Lazarus in the, and the rich man. It says, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. That word hell there just means grave. It's not Gehenna. It just means in the grave he lifted up his eyes. And what is that when you lift up your eyes in the grave? Well, it's a resurrection. Okay. So anyway, but people have blown that scripture all out of proportion anyway. The understanding of Lazarus and the rich man. You know, it, it's not given to us to, to build an elaborate doctrine that people burn for all eternity in a place called hell and never quite burn up. That is not the purpose of that parable. And it is the parable, Lazarus and the rich man, and people blow it all out of proportion. But anyway, no, hell was the wrong answer also. That's not what Jesus talked about the most. Well, another person said, well, money is what, and you will hear a lot of television evangelists tell you that what Jesus talked about the most was money. Now, can you figure out why? Have you got enough brain cells to figure that one out as to why they might tell you what Jesus talked about the most was money? Well, it's a no-brainer, actually. And I've never figured out television evangelists, by the way. You know, how does sending them money make me more wealthy? You know, if, if I send a television evangelist $100, I'm going to be $100 poorer than I was before. But somehow they, they are able to manage to convince you that if you give them money, you will get rich. I've never figured that one out. But anyway, no, money was not the most you know, the, 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 the subject that Jesus talked about the most. Okay, here it is. Are you ready for the answer? What was the subject that Christ Jesus talked about the most? More than anything else in the Bible. Here it is. It is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which is really one and the same thing. He discussed more than any other topic the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Now, it is this subject, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, is one of the most misunderstood subjects out there. A lot of people will spiritualize it away. They'll just say, well, the, you know, it's within you. The kingdom is within you. Uh, it's the process of conversion. It's the process of the, uh, you know, 101 explanations as to what the kingdom is not. You know, they don't understand what the kingdom of God is. So the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, like I said, it's one in the same thing. The kingdom belongs to God and it's coming out of heaven to this earth. Okay. That kingdom belongs to God, and it's going to come out of heaven to this earth. 
Now let's just illustrate something here to, to prove that it's one and the same thing. Whether you want to refer to it as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 3 and verse 1. And in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now here John refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. Now let's skip over to Mark 1 and verse 14 and notice how Jesus referred to it. And after that John, that John was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel. What was the gospel? The gospel of the kingdom of God. Like I said, whether it's the gospel of the heaven or the gospel of the kingdom of God, it's one and the same thing. Saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. So Christ is saying, look, you need to repent because, and turn from your wicked way because there is coming a government of God to this earth. It's coming to this earth. This was the beginning of Christ's ministry, and he had a specific message about the soon coming kingdom of God. So let's stop right here and ask, what is the kingdom of God? What is it? Do you know? Like I said, it's one of the most greatest misunderstood subjects in the Bible because people spiritualize it away. They don't look at it as a literal kingdom that is coming to this earth. What, what the kingdom of God is, is, is this. It is the promise that Jesus Christ would return and restore the earth to its original condition before sin entered the picture. It's basically the Garden of Eden. Mankind restored to a perfect relationship with God. And Christ said, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. Christ is going to return. Christ is going to establish his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on this earth. Acts 3 and verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which was before was preached to you, whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Now this is a loaded scripture. I mean a loaded scripture because it tells us that there is a time of restitution, a restoration of all things. And that it occurs, this restoration occurs at Christ's return when he establishes the government of God on this earth. Luke 21 and verse 29. And he spake unto them this parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass, but my words shall not pass. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that this kingdom of God has a time frame. It's not right now. It's not within you. 
It's not on this earth right now. And the reason I mention that is because I've had people want to argue that the kingdom of God is already here. And I'm sort of looking around. I'm thinking the kingdom of God is already here. You know, you go to the post office. Have you seen these missing children? You look at the abuse, the rape, the incest, the uh, dysfunctional family system. You look, you watch your news. You see people getting blown up by, you know, by suicide bombers or whatever. And you're, th you're thinking, okay, the kingdom of God is here right now. I don't know where people get these crazy ideas from. I really don't know what's going through their minds. Mark 14 and verse 25. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now this was quoted almost 2,000 years ago at the Passover season. And Christ is saying, look, I'm not going to drink this until I drink it new with you in my kingdom, the government of God on this earth. So he's placing the establishment of this kingdom at his return. Okay. It's out in the future at Christ's returns. So we take a look at this verse again, Acts 3 and verse 21, whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. In other words, this prophecy is throughout the entirety of the Bible, that Christ would return to establish his kingdom on this earth. Now, why must Christ return to this earth to set up his kingdom? Well, you know, well, first let me digress a little bit. First of all, God has allotted mankind six working days to do his own thing, or 6,000 years to do his own thing, to live by the law that says, if it feels good, I'm going to do it, to be, let man govern man, trying to figure out how to live our lives, trying to figure out how to govern our lives, void of God, trying to figure out how to make things work, void of the, Holy, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Okay, God has allotted us 6,000 years to do that. But the Sabbath, the, the Sabbath represents, or that 7,000 years represents the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. 2 Peter 3 and verse 8 says this, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, here's the thing about those 6,000 years that God has allotted mankind. They're, they are about up, those 6,000 years. By Jewish reckoning, I mean, they may argue over 80 or 100 years. Maybe we missed it by 80 or 100 years, you know. But, but, but it, by Jewish reckoning, they're saying, okay, those 6,000 years are about up. Also, there's something called the Shemitah cycle. That's a counting of every seven years. We've just went into a new Shemitah cycle in the year 2022. And so there are those who say at the end of that cycle, at the end of that seven years, Christ is going to return. There's those that say that, which would place the return of Christ around 2029 or 2030. Now, again, I'm not setting dates because no man knows the day or, or the hour, but I'm, what I'm saying is this, for me, the sooner the better. I mean, I can't wait for this to happen. This is what I want more than anything else in the world, for Jesus Christ to return to this sin-sick world and put an end to the madness that you see around you. So why does Christ need to return? Well, in Matthew 24 and verse 22, he says this, and except those days, what days? The days we're living in right now should be shortened. There should be no flesh be saved. 
but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So what Christ is saying is this, you know, you're living in such a rotten time that except those days are shortened and I put a stop to the madness, you know, it's not going to be any flesh saved alive. So this is great news that Christ is going to intervene and he's going to stop the madness. The world is not going to end. You know, a lot of people just think the world's going to end, that's it, and that's, it's all over with. No, no, Christ is going to stop it before we self-destruct is basically what he's saying. Acts 1 and verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Now here was after Christ's resurrection, and they, were, they, wanted, they had one thing on their mind, the kingdom of God, the government of God, the kingdom of heaven, or they referred to it as the kingdom of Israel or to Israel. You see, they were occupied by Rome. Do you know what it's like to be occupied by another nation? Well, you don't know right now, but you're going to find out. Uh, America is because we keep giving away our freedom. The only reason God allows another nation to occupy someone else is because they have forgotten how to live freely. And they have forgotten how to govern themselves. And so they must be governed by someone else. Well, this is the way it was back then for Israel. They were occupied by Rome. And they wanted to... The, the disciples were, were would-be revolutionaries. They were ready. Well, in some cases, they were ready to take it by force. But, to, you know, they're asking Jesus, okay, what's the time frame? Will you at this time restore the kingdom? And Jesus said, and he said to them, Acts 1 and verse 7, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. You know, Christ didn't tell them, boys, you're going to die and it's going to be 2,000, your bodies are going to smolter in the grave and it's going to be 2,000 years before I return. No, that would have just sort of deflated them. So he didn't tell them. But why? Why did so much time have to pass by before Christ would return to this earth? Why, why 2,000 years before Christ actually returns the second time? Well, the next verse sort of explains why. Acts 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and into Samaria and into, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, God is calling his elect. He is calling his cabinet members that will be resurrected and reign with him when Christ returns. So for the past 2,000 years, God has been calling out his cabinet members. But you see, cabinet members have to be trained first. You know, you got to train them first. All right, how does that take place? Well, it starts with a calling from God. It starts by repentance, repenting of sin. Sin is the breaking of God's law. It starts by being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit of God, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It takes the leadership of the Spirit redirecting your life and building godly character within. All right, all this has to take place to be qualified to be a cabinet member with Christ when he returns to this earth. Matthew 19 and verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have, therefore? 
In other words, what Peter wanted to know was, Christ, what do I get for my hardship? You ever ask that question? What do I get for all this, you know, stuff I've been through down here on earth, all of the heartache, all of the headache, what do I get out of this? And Jesus said, Matthew 19, verse 28, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in his throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus said, look, boys, you're going to be judging the twelve tribes of Israel on this earth when Christ returns. You know, now the 12 tribes of Israel, for the most part, have, has been lost. They've lost their identity. The only one we can identify right now is Judah. If I say Judah, the tribe of Judah, you know I'm talking about the Jews. Uh, I personally believe that America and Great Britain is Ephraim and Manasseh, but these 12 tribes, that's another story, by the way, but these 12 tribes of Israel who have lost their identity, now the reason they lost their identity is because they broke with the Sabbath day. Had they never broken with the Sabbath day, we would still be able to identify them today. The reason we can identify the tribe of Judah, if when I say Judah, you understand I'm talking about the Jews, is because they never broke with the Sabbath day. They never lost their identity. But this is telling us we're going to have work to do when Christ returns. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples. He's saying, you're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Look, you need to get this idea out of your head of, of watching the sun roll around heaven all day long and Christian retirement and, and, you know, whatever. You need to get that idea out of your head. Okay, Revelation 2 and verse 26, And he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. How would you like to have power over the nations? And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. As you look at your world around you, if you had the power to do so, what evil would you like to stop? What evil would you, would you like to correct if you had the power to do it? Well, I'd like to correct the evil of the Democratic Party, uh, the, F, the corruption of the FBI, all the evil that the media has covered up. I would like to correct that issue, you know, if I had the power to do it. All right. Now, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's one and the same thing. Now, in order to have a kingdom, you've got to have four things. Number one, you've got to have a king. That's Jesus, Jesus Christ. We all know who that is. Okay, two, you've got to have territory, planet Earth. You've got to have people. All right, we got that. Okay, four, you've got to have laws. That's the four things that it takes to have a kingdom. A king, territory, people, subjects or whatever, and laws. Okay, that's the four things you've got to have to have a kingdom. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, one and the same thing. The kingdom belongs to God, and it's coming out of heaven to this earth. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Yes, potential cabinet members who ran their race, they developed the godly character that was needed. They're just waiting to be called from the grave, ready to fight. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Yeah, what's going to be resurrected is an army that hates evil. Yeah, 
at an army that hates evil and loves righteousness. Absolutely. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We meet the Lord in the air, but we have a destination. We do not stay in the air. Jude 1 and verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. To do what? To execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them all of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Yeah, we're coming to wage war. Christ is resurrecting his cabinet members at his return, and we've got a job to do. Revelation 5 and verse 10 and has made us unto our gods kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of things that need fixing in our society. And thank God for his calling. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for all the men and women have, who have gone before us, who are now in, resting but they've got a great work ahead of them. In fact, we all have, all those who take the name of Christ, we have a great work ahead of, ahead of us when Christ returns. And Christ gets you know, fed up with things and he returns to establish his government, his kingdom on this earth. You know, there are some exciting times ahead. And I want you to think about that in closing here about those exciting times that are ahead of us. You know, sometimes it's so easy to get down and out when you watch the news and you watch all the corruption that's going on around you. You just, you just throw up your hands and say, what's the use? But don't ever lose hope because there are a lot of things that needs fixing and you're gonna have your part in fixing it. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? And prepare for some very exciting times ahead of us. Man has the intellectual capacity to design spaceships to take him to the moon and back, to invent the computer, and to do other marvelous exploits in the physical, material realm. Yet during man's nearly 6,000 years on Earth, he has proved that he cannot solve his problems with fellow men. Through the ages, man has tried to bring about a utopian paradise by every conceivable means yet without success. He has attempted to live by every imaginable type of government. He has even tried living without any government at all. Absolute anarchy. All of them have failed miserably. Why has this been so? Jesus Christ is going to return to set up his kingdom on this earth. And right now, God is in the process of training future leaders that will teach true education. But what is true education? Find out by ordering The Coming Utopia. In this publication, you will learn of God's system for re-educating society. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151.